together. If you would turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I want to warn you ahead of time that uh, unlike many of our services, though I would like our many of our services to end this way, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to be prayed for at the end, just for us to stop before we walk out of this room, before everything goes to happen, and the kids are going to do our benediction, um, but, but just to stop and uh, say, I, please pray for me, and then, and then maybe some people around gather, and uh, I'll, I'm going to pray for you specifically as you hear this sermon, and you go, yeah, this is me. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, listen, this morning, uh, I want to say a statement, I am deeply persuaded, and I'm going to say it that way, I am deeply persuaded this morning that genuine, lasting rest for the soul, soul rest, will never be achieved by improving one's circumstances. It's a loaded sentence. I am deeply persuaded that genuine lasting rest for the soul will never be achieved by improving one's circumstances. No doubt about it. We are generally speaking, generally speaking, not just us, the whole world. We are, we're an anxious population. We fidget. We make toys so that we can fidget. We're a hot mess. We're troubled. The world is wearing us down. And that's a theological statement. The world is grinding us down. That's what Paul says. Paul literally told the Corinthians that he was wasting away. And so, and so, the hope that you might have, the dream that we might carry, the idea, listen, the idea that somehow you can bring enough order into your chaos, like you're special and your kingdom is different than everyone else's kingdom and bend everything to your way as master and commander of your little empire so that in some way you won't be troubled by whatever it is that troubles you. It's a lie, that hope. It's a fantasy, a fantasy. Listen, the struggle is real. The struggle is real, yet I am deeply persuaded, I'm deeply persuaded that genuine lasting soul will never be achieved by improving your circumstances. Even in the very best of circumstances, you will not be free from the concerns and troubles that keep you from achieving what it is that you truly deeply hunger and thirst for in the core of your inner self, your soul. You, you and I, listen, you and I, this is what's so wonderful about Sundays because it's the complete opposite. You and I are being sold countless times throughout the day, seven days a week, 24-7. We're being sold the lie, the lie by, by companies, corporations, by social influencers, by entertainers, pharmaceutical companies, medicine, life coaches definitely are lying to us. If you're a life coach, I'm just joking. But uh, therapists, kind of therapists, even unfortunately, more than a few pastors, they're selling you this, that somehow they're selling me this, that somehow, some way that if we rearrange the chairs on the deck of the Titanic, everything will be fixed. Everything will be fixed. Achieving for us, for you, for me, that which I really, really want, an inner rest of my soul, an inner rest of my soul, and a lasting peace 
in my heart that enables, enables even the most beleaguered person, like a young parent at Church Camp 23, that never, their, their children never got the schedule that said we sleep <laughs> between nine and six or whatever. Or the single adult that's lonely. Or the high school student who's worried about whatever everyone thinks about you. Or the older saint facing the end of his or her life, wondering what the future holds. We want a rest and can experience a rest that even when all the situations and relationships in our life around us are broken. Ted Paul Tripp, popular author, wrote about speaking about worry and how worry is the opposite of rest. Worry is the opposite of rest in some ways. He writes, defeating worry, like crushing worry in your life, defeating worry is not about hoping that tomorrow will be better. It'll be better tomorrow. That's not how we defeat that turmoil in our souls. No, he writes, defeating worry is all is about all about fighting the temptations to attach our peace, the peace of your heart to things that by their very nature are temporary and therefore are not designed to give you lasting peace. Listen, this is what he writes again. Defeating worry is not about hoping that tomorrow will be better. No, it's about fixing our hope in the one thing, the one person, these are my words, who never changes, never fails, always loves, always wins, never gives up, never stops, cannot be challenged, will not fade, is better for you, better than you and I will ever dream or imagine or want or desire. I'm going to use that word very intentionally. Better than your deepest, most strongest desire. There is something out there, someone out there that is so good, so good that he is, biblical truth here, do a little theological work here, beyond your wildest dreams. Beyond your wildest dreams beyond my wildest dreams. So good that in comparison, whatever it is that you have been fantasizing about, and your fantasy could be as small as just a little more sleep, or, or better coffee, or just a few more dollars in the bank, or a little more time for relaxation, or a few more friends, could be as small as just losing a couple of pounds, whatever it is, or your fantasy could be as big as imagining you have a different spouse or a different life altogether or even no life at all. I'm deeply persuaded, and I want to persuade you this morning, I'm deeply persuaded that genuine, lasting rest will never be achieved by improving your circumstances. My final appeal as, as we end our vacation together. You need more rest. That's all I'm going to say this morning. You, you need more rest. Would you look with me, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. Follow along. Follow along. 
then I'll pray for help that we would understand this text. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews writes, Therefore, everything that came before this, while the promise of entering His rest, God's rest, still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 2, for good, good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. He's speaking of the Exodus generation. For we who have, been, have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today. Today, saying through David, so long afterwards, afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rest, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> from his works as God did from his, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. You need more rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Very words of God. Would you join me in a prayer that we might understand them? Father, Father, I pray you would meet us one more time. You would inhabit this meeting. Send your spirit here among us. It is such a kindness of you to place us in a room full of friends, new and old, to spend time together, to share our lives with one another, to rest together physically and spiritually. Would you please do the thing that we need more than anything else? It's why we're here. Ultimately, would you tend to our souls? Fix things in us that are broken. Renew our minds. Heal our wounds. Strengthen us. Grant us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might believe once again that Jesus is everything. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Listen, uh, I'm excited about this. Have you ever thought about this? I think about this all the time. Sleep. Have you thought about sleep? And, if, and, and in particular, that sleep is a very, very weird thing. It's a very weird thing that we sleep, that we lay down in a bed and go unconscious, yet our minds act like, we, like it's psychotic. We have all kinds of dreams, and my dreams sometimes include you, but you weren't there. It was all just made up in my mind, and then I wake up and I do it all over again the next night. Sleep is a very weird thing. It's, it's scientists actually... Uh, they don't really understand it. Yet we do it every day. And if we don't, we die. Amen? Amen. 
<laughs> we're, we're obsessed with sleep. Many of us track it on our smartwatches. We score our sleep. You share that with anybody? Hey, how'd you do last night? I got a whatever. I don't score my sleep. It's 100%. 105 every week. No, I'm joking. Uh, sleep, we score our sleep and we worry about enough getting, getting enough sleep. Even the smallest changes to the amount of our sleep, the quality of sleep affects our lives and our day and the lives of everyone near and around us. <laughs> sleep is, well, yeah. sleep is, according to perhaps the foremost expert on, our, on sleep today, Sleep is the elixir of life, he said. Sleep is the elixir of life. It's the most, I think this is so helpful. This is, it's the most widely available and democratic and powerful healthcare system I could ever possibly imagine. <laughs> Take that, Kaiser. <laughs> There's no strike, apparently. Physical rest is a non-negotiable. Physical rest is a non-negotiable. This isn't going to be a controversial part of my sermon. Physical rest is a non-negotiable for human beings. The Bible calls sleep a gift from God. The psalmist sings. There's a song about this. You should memorize this one. There's a song. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Verse 2. <laughs> for he gives to his beloved sleep. Physical rest is a non-negotiable, and I'm happy to report that everybody agrees. Everybody agrees, even among us, Sovereign Grace Church. We all agree. This is one thing we all can sign off on as a church. We want it. We believe in it. We're committed to it. We talk about it. We score it. We are concerned when we learn that someone else among us is not getting enough of it. Physical rest. Physical rest. Even Jesus... The, writer, the writers of the four Gospels record that Jesus rested physically and encouraged those around him to rest as well and sometimes told them to stay up, but they fell asleep anyways, and he was patient with them, as I am with you while I preach. <laughs> but here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. That's not the kind of rest that is prescribed for us in the Bible. Oh, this is a common, common misunderstanding. Physical rest, we just sang great songs, Dustin, three songs. We sang three songs that were not about physical rest. Though we use the word rest, they were not about physical rest. The Bible assumes that everybody already knows that you need sleep, you need rest. There's nothing distinctively Christian. Listen, there's nothing distinctively Jewish or Christian about the conviction that everybody should take some time off and rest physically. In fact, physical rest is perhaps, perhaps the one thing. If there is, if there is one thing that everyone throughout all of time, in every culture, generation, nation, persuasion, political party, whatever it is, they all agree on this. You need six to eight hours of sleep. Seven's the sweet spot. Nine if you're a pastor. 
No, I'm joking. <laughs> Just to hide from ourselves. One extra hour. You need a rhythm of work and rest. Nobody disagrees with this. You need a rhythm of work and rest. You must make rest a priority. Without it, you won't make it. You will eventually literally die. That's a scientific fact, and that's the most science you're going to get this morning. The CDC. What does that stand for? The Center yeah, see, you guys went through the COVID. You know who they are now. <laughs> the Honorable Father Fauci classifies. <laughs> he classifies deficient sleep as a carcinogen. You'll get cancer. Kids. <laughs> if you don't sleep. Mom will get cancer. <laughs> you don't sleep. But physical rest, physical rest is not what we read about in our Bibles. Unfortunately, it's what we read on most every Christian blog. Every Christian blog out there, every Christian publisher, every Christian book publisher, you walk into a Christian bookstore, and I don't even know if there's a Christian bookstore anymore. I travel a lot, and I'm in Arizona. I often go, oh, no way, there's a Christian bookstore. And then as I look by, they're selling like special clothing and stuff for Mormons. And I realize this is in a Christian bookstore. This is a Mormon bookstore. But they look like Christian bookstores, and they have a lot, too, about physical rest. But that's not what we read about our Bibles. Even the Sabbath. Even the Sabbath, even the fourth commandment is not about physical rest. The Sabbath, this six-in-one pattern of work and rest, work and rest, wasn't given to the Israelites because the Israelites were really bad at self-care. And they needed a weekend off. Curiously enough, they didn't even get that weekend off. They didn't get the six-in-one until after they left Egypt. After they had been released and saved, they received rest. The Sabbath, the Sabbath wasn't about, oh, this is where it gets controversial. The Sabbath wasn't about physical rest, even though it was a nice fringe benefit. It wasn't about physical rest. The Sabbath was a sign, a symbol, a sign pointing to something better than sleep, better than their hobbies, or recreation, or entertainment, or listen, substance abuse, whatever it is that you use to get rest, pornography, food, friends, success, stability, children, see the ecosystem going around, we have children because we want to rest, and, and then we have no rest. <laughs> sure, a day off a week helped, and there's something to glean from it as we order our lives. That six-in-one pattern is rooted in the very fabric of the universe. There was a time where most of the world worked on a 10-day work week. That seven made it. Seven, seven endured. That six-in-one pattern, it, it's built into the fabric of the universe, but, but not for physical rest. It wasn't as if God created the world in six days, and then he was so pooped <laughs> that he watched Netflix <laughs> all day. On And here's controversial thing, too, on Saturday. 
only English speakers. I don't know Spanish speakers. I don't speak Spanish either. I've just read about this, so I'm guessing only Spa only English speakers confuse Saturday with Sabbath or Sunday with Sabbath because it sounds like Sabbath Sunday Sabbath. It, the seventh, the, the fourth commandment was about the seventh day. You can't do the Sabbath on the first day and keep the fourth commandment unless you want to change some of the commandments. And that might not be the first one you want to start. Let's keep the day off. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> the Sabbath was a sign that there is something better that God is offering his people as compared to everyone else. Something that it, not everyone else enjoys and experiences. Something deeper. Because listen, your neighbors... They get two days off a week. It's something, if you look on Instagram, it looks like they have five days off a week. Whatever it is, they're living their life now, right? But there is something different that you and I experience, something deeper and closer to the core of who you are as an individual, as a creature, as an image bearer, something, someone that God offers that transcends our experience as a people passing through time and space in this created order and place, embedded in the principle, the Sabbath principle, embedded in the commandment, the Sabbath, a gracious offer that cannot be achieved by human effort or a set of rules and regulations and limited store hours on the first day of the week. The Sabbath pointed to a rest a rest for God's people, for their souls. Listen, are you not tired of just surviving? I say it all the time, just, just making it, just surviving. Are you sick and tired of just surviving? White knuckling it, right? Like as in like next week, it's all going to change or next year, it'll all change. When COVID goes away, it'll all change. When I get a better job, it'll all change. When I have kids and when I get married, when I'm not married, whatever it is, it'll all change. When whatever it is that happens, when my circumstances change, then it'll be all right. And I will have rest with my, in my soul, <laughs> white knuckling, hanging on for dear life with no promise. Oh, cause that's the reality. But with no promise that tomorrow is going to be better. Are there things about you and your circumstances that you'd rather not think about, talk about, deal with, ignore, that you want to cover up and deny and hide? All the while knowing, let's be honest, that you can't. You can't sleep this one off. You can't catch up. You can't sleep in and solve this problem because the relief that you really need and that you're hunting for is spiritual. And what's interesting about our passage, this is what's really neat about our passage, Hebrews 4, is that if there were ever a group of people who were more passionate about taking a Sabbath, listen, if there were ever, if there ever was a people, kind of like us, but that they were more passionate, that, that were more passionate about keeping a Sabbath, getting the rest they needed, getting a tight eight, working for the weekend, it was this group. The Hebrews, the original intended recipient, first century Jewish Christians. And the author of Hebrews says something here that can change your life down there. 
in orange. Like this week. He says something in here that could change your life immediately. Immediately. You don't have to reorganize your home. (laughs) You don't have to clean out your garage. You don't have to cancel a bunch of subscriptions and delete apps off your phone or or reevaluate your calendar and cancel a bunch of appointments or how you work or change your work, your profession, find a new job or, oh dear, may it not be, join a gym. You don't... He's saying something that unfortunately is really easy to miss. And I know it's easy to miss. This is why I could say this confidently. It's easy to miss. First of all, now I don't know if this is a good judge, but because I miss it and I've missed it. Everybody seems to miss it. It's so regularly misunderstood. If there was one day of the week that's more exhausting than all the others, it's typically among church people, the Sabbath. (laughs) Fighting over what the Sabbath is and what it means and how we should do it. So let's listen in as the writer of Hebrews explains. First of two points, just two points. First one, what is spiritual rest? He answers it here. What is spiritual rest? Look with me again, verse one. Verse one, he writes, therefore, and there's a big buildup, but it's all tying into this. He's talking about rest before it. He's going to talk about rest afterwards. But listen, he goes, therefore, while the promise of entering this rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This is awesome. Listen, this is awesome. Get this and you're already well on your way. You get this and you're well on your way to experiencing the kind of rest that God offers. What is this rest that God is offering us? I won't go line by line, but listen, verse two through verse five, if you look there and you are confused while I read it, sets the context. He's drawing from the experience of Israel during the exodus from Egypt, which was for the Israelites, they were an exodus-centered congregation. Like we're cross-centered, they were exodus-centered. Everything was about the exodus. See, you could draw all, you can get all your bearings straight by just orienting yourself and what's going on to the exodus. And there were many in Israel during this generation, he makes the point, who never experienced the promise, the promised land. Because why? Because they, that's what two through five is, because they rejected God's promise. They didn't trust him. They doubted his good purposes, his goodness, and his power to save them. Remember the the giants in the land? They, They doubted that he would deliver them into that which they so desperately desired. They wanted it so badly. And because they wanted it so badly, but didn't believe God could do it for them, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Burying them, we don't even have the grave markers. It's right there in the Bible. This is so helpful. They rejected God's gracious offer of deliverance and salvation, rest. And as a consequence, they lived their lives surviving, just surviving, white knuckling it in the desert, wandering, dying in the desert within view of the promised land. They were right there. And God said, I swore in my wrath. Oh, I wish I had like a big, deep voice, right? You'd be like, I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Why? Because they didn't believe him. So he cut them off. You'll die in the desert. You'll never get there. 
In verse 6, the writer of Hebrews then connects the dots for us. If you look, verse 6, he writes, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. You stop right there just a second and just go, okay, I'll read the rest here in a second. But you just stop and you go, wait, there's still time for them, some of them, some to enter this rest. I thought that that was 40 years were over and Joshua had taken them in. That's Verse 6, there, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and for those who formerly received the good news, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he points a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, after what? After the Exodus. In the words already quoted, he's repeating himself, today if you, because he said that in chapter 3, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What did they do? What did the Israelites do? What, what does this Exodus-centered congregation think about those who didn't make it? They had hardened their hearts to God's gracious invitation to rest. So today, David says in his psalm, Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, the one who led them into the promised land because Moses didn't make it either. God would not have spoken of another day later on. If Joshua had given them that rest, as in if, if that was the rest, the promised land was the rest, then, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Stop right there. This is, this is radical, controversial. If you don't know it's controversial, <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> it's wonderful. This is radical. And if I, if I could cut to the chase, basically what this means is that, that if the rest that God was offering his people was the promised land, literally the land located right where today, as has been throughout all of history, Israel and Palestine are at war. If that place was the promised place, and that if you got to that place and lived in that geographical place, and that was rest. That was the rest that God's offering his people. Then David wouldn't be able to say so long afterward. Verse 7. Well past the generation that was lost in the desert. He wouldn't be able to say today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's speaking to us today. The Lord is speaking to you. Don't harden your heart. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given him rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains, listen, a gracious invitation, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That means, that means the promised land was not truly, ultimately the resting reality that God was offering. And neither was the Sabbath. The seventh day, Saturday, as great as Saturday is, the fourth commandment was not truly, ultimately, really the resting reality that God is offering even today. Which now, just take it in for a moment. That means Sunday, <laughs> this is dangerous for a pastor to say, the Lord's Day. That means Sunday and attending church on Sunday isn't the Sabbath either. 
Now, I don't know what you've been taught or what you've thought. Like I said, I think this is really, really misunderstood. And if you're looking and you're going, oh, wait a second, I've heard a whole bunch of later, Dustin and Michael answer all your <laughs> questions later. No, I'm joking. I would love to talk to you about it. I just only got so much time here, like another hour or two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're bringing lunch in. No, because <laughs> I want you to rest. <laughs> the Sunday service. You don't obey the fourth commandment by attending a church service. In some ways, that would actually be kind of silly because the fourth commandment, for starters, is this, prescribes the seventh day of the week. It's not as if God worked all week, took Saturday off to take the kids to Little League, and then rested on Sunday. He worked for six days, and on the sixth day, seventh day, he rested Saturday. And then he's been working ever since. Seventh day of the week was a wonderful sign. Curiously, we don't see it republished, but republished in the New Testament. All other, all nine out of the ten are there, but not the tenth. Always, the, the New Testament is awkwardly eerily silent about keeping the Sabbath. But if you're going to keep the Sabbath, at least keep the Sabbath, as in Saturday, not Sunday. It's definitely not on Sundays. So then, what is the Sabbath that is still available and offered to us, this spiritual rest, this, what was the seventh day pointing to rest? Verse 9, so then, right? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for, who has ever, who, for whoever has entered God's rest, middle of verse 9, has also rested from... Now we're cross-centered, so rather than Exodus-centered. So this, we're Christ-centered, so this, this should make your heart just leap a little. For whoever, verse 10, has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did his. There it is. What is this rest that we're after, that we sing about, that's different about our striving than everybody else's striving? It's this. Our works. My efforts. My all-consuming thoughts about self-justification and how I'm okay and I'm alright. and that I heard what you said, but that's not really true about me. You misunderstood me. Everybody's misunderstood me. The God of all the cosmos is misunderstanding me. If only I had more time to plead my case, you would understand my merits and my worth, my performance, my... You would satisfy... You would. He would satisfy my cravings to be affirmed as Eric. And you just fill in the blank. Your name. Your need for rest. A peace that's, that says it is finished. Your need for redemption. Your need for salvation. Your need for freedom. The writer of Hebrews says to the people who love the Sabbath, who took rest most seriously. 
The writer of Hebrews, in essence, is saying, rest was never found in a day. A day of the week. Rest. Rest is found in a person. Jesus died that you and I could rest. True rest only comes. True spiritual rest only comes when you rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We rest completely and wholly, spiritually, in the performance of another. The Lord of the Sabbath. It sounds weird. That's a loaded statement. It means more than He's just in charge of the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He completed the Sabbath. We weren't made, Jesus says, for the Sabbath. So that somehow, Saturdays, there'd be something going on. (laughs) Or on Sundays, we had something to do. Now he's saying, I am the Sabbath. Come to me and find rest. What the Sabbath represented. Listen, if if you want to ask the question, is there such a thing as a Christian Sabbath? Is there such a thing? Oh no, do I even have to go to church anymore? Do I have to? Why are we gathering on Sunday? Is there such a thing as a a, a Christian Sabbath? I already stand. It has nothing to do with yoga. It has nothing to do with whatever. uh, Whatever it is that floats your boat. It has nothing to do with any of those. So then what is it for me? I'm a Christian. Is there such a thing as a Christian Sabbath? My answer is yes. And his name is Jesus. He fulfilled the Sabbath rest in human form. Only he can give what the Sabbath was pointing to. As the Lord of the Sabbath says, and we've heard it many times already this weekend, and we're going to say it many more times before we break. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. I'm not kidding when I say, that your pastors carry a concern. It's a perennial concern. You can't fix this concern. It's our job. You need more rest. I need more rest. I'm still restless. I'm still in danger of not entering that rest. In some ways you might say, we're all still waiting for that rest. That's the age to come. It's an already, we're experiencing that rest, but a not yet. We're not experiencing this rest, we're wasting away. You need more rest. Because you need more. You need more Jesus. How do I know? Because a little birdie told me one or two of you may have some anxious days. (laughs) All of us. Some of you may question whether God is good because you're suffering, because you don't have what you want. How do I know? Because every single day, all of you, in one way or another, practice the ugly art of unbelief. God says, come to me, and you'll find rest. And I say, And nope, I got this thing over here. 
I got an appointment this afternoon with somebody who's going to listen to all my problems. Then I'll go home and I'll rest. Or whatever. Ice cream, late at night, chocolate, you name it. Second point, very briefly. How do we enter this rest? Very easy. So easy. It's easy. Go back to verse 1. Again, he says it right there. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, and that is amazing, we take it for granted, but they were like, wait, what? Oh, wait, right? Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, a rest from ourselves. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Are you struggling with yourself? You know, everything going on in here? The promise of rest from all what was going on in here still stands. While the promise still stands, let us fear, take this seriously, lest any of you, me, should seem to have failed to reach it, for good news came to us, verse 2, just as to them, but the message they heard did not did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Faith. That's how you enter that rest. And when you get restless, you repent and you believe again. And you ask for faith greater measures of faith and you resist the temptation to trust in anything else that might but won't offer that rest that's what rest looks like it's not a change in your circumstances you can't get better self-improvement won't <laughs> Won't be restful, hasn't been restful. Has it been restful for anyone? Nobody here is happy when they're dieting or working out, whatever. That's why I don't run. It's just one five-mile long unrestful moment. <laughs> You're running from something. I'm just trying to find out what it is you peoples are running from. As I see you go by my house, what is he running from? I'll find out. Good health not going to get you the rest you're looking for. Good sleep score. It's of some benefit, but it's not the cure. So, of some benefit. Sleep is good. Try it. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> the rest of us are already convinced. <laughs> but, but it's not the cure. None of that is the cure. It's faith. Faith in the one who doesn't change. It's always there. So what should you do? Verse 11. Now go all the way back down to the bottom. And there he applies it all. Verse 11, here's where we end. Let us, you, me, Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, therefore, because that offer of rest still stands for us, for you and I, even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, still stands already but not yet let us therefore strive which is an odd word when we're talking about rest but that's good rest does not mean that we don't do any work rest just it's just a certain kind of work and that work is an exercise of our soul to believe 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, God's rest, spiritual rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And he's talking to the Hebrews who are Exodus-centered. Strive to enter that rest. That's why you come to church on Sunday mornings. That's why... And listen, we could call the meeting any day of the week. And if you mess with us, we'll do three of them. <laughs> like they did in the oldie days. <laughs> That's why we call for a meeting once a week. On the first day of the week. The day that the Lord rose from the grave. And we strive to rest. And we call others to rest. We strive to rest. You know what that means about Sundays? Sundays got even better already. You can go down the hill and seven days from now we'll be at the women's club fighting for faith all over again. We do it every Sunday, every week. I'd, I'd argue that it might be the most important 90 minutes of our week together as a church, collectively, corporately. There are many beautiful things that we do, through, to do together as a congregation. Small groups, mercy ministries, you name it. Hospitality, Bible reading, prayer services. The list goes on and on. But there's one thing we do every week. It's, it's a non-negotiable as far as it, helped, as, as it is for, uh, uh, on our account for 90 minutes. I, I, all of a sudden I thought about the tyrant governor knew something. No, I'm joking. Uh, but for 90 minutes, we all gather in a room, physically present, and together we celebrate the one thing that unites us, not our race, not our professions, not our hobbies or interest groups, as much as I would like you to like the things I like, because it would be so much fun to show up next Sunday, and when I see you, say, hey, and you just say to me, did you see the new GS BMW motorcycle that just came out? I go, yes. Oh, I'm resting again. <laughs> Enter your rest. Enter my rest. Listen, we, it's none of that. It's not our politics. It's not, it's not our educational choices or our season of life. We gather to celebrate the gospel, our exodus. We gather to celebrate the gospel, to sing it, to preach it, to demonstrate it, to soak in it, and to enjoy it, and to proclaim it with everything we got. And anyone who will listen, we gather to celebrate the gospel as one body, as one local church, a visible, tangible, and living color yoga session to find rest for our souls. I don't even know if yoga is restful. Is it restful? No. no. Pilates? No. no. Yes. None of that. That's why I haven't tried them. You know what the craziest thing you could say? This is the craziest thing. I think, I, think, I don't know, well, I don't know where Pastor Mike is, but this is the craziest thing I have heard as a pastor. I was so exhausted and weary and tired and lonely. My life went sideways this week. And I gave in to temptation over and over again. And I got a lot of work next week. Homework. 
do. No one will even notice if I'm not there. I'm not serving on any of the teams. I'm so weary that I decided to stay home instead of go to church. It's the craziest thing. You might have said it. You're crazy. No, I'm joking. Listen, if it weren't for the fact that I serve on ministry teams every Sunday, the thought would cross my mind. I'm just so tired. And I'm... And the, the buffet or, the, or the, the brunch over at the filling station seems to apparently be so good if you've seen it at 10 o'clock on Sundays. The line goes all the way down to the women's club practically. You're not sure if you're handing out bulletins to people going to the filling station, the restaurant there, or, or, or church on Sunday or John, John St. John's. It's one or the other. One, one out of 100 comes to visit us. I'm so weary that I decided to take the Sunday off and rest. I understand. I'm as crazy as you are to think it. But it makes no sense. No sense theologically. And I'll tell you, for someone who has to miss a service once in a while and go be with other people, and that's as wonderful as it is, But at the end of a busy week and a Saturday full of resting stuff like working on the house or whatever, chores, when I walk in on Sunday morning in a 10.01 or 10.010, depending on when we get started, the California roll, uh, when, when you all start singing and someone calls us to worship, and the voice, the wall of voices. And, and if you're in this room today and you're like, man, this sounds wonderful. This is what it sounds like in the first three rows. Okay? Because everybody is singing towards you. So here's a little secret. You want to change your life? Here's life tip number five for the weekend. Sit in one of the front three rows and you won't be like, what are all these jokers doing around here? No one seems to be singing. Whatever it is. I know it sounds good in the back. You should hear it in the front. And I'm there. And you'd think, oh, I'm ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I'm the same as you. I came in tired, tanked up on caffeine, hoping with a prayer, white knuckling it the whole way in. And my wife's looking at me right now going, mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't look like I was going to go to church this week on Friday, but here I am. Seriously. And then you start to rehearse the promise to enter rest. God's rest. I don't know how many times how frequent. I literally think, this is so good. This is so, so good. Listen, you need more rest. 90 minutes doesn't seem like enough. So life tip number six, we're instituting a Sunday evening service. No, I'm doing it. <laughs> Just so you can rest more. No. You need more rest. You, you need to believe. Some of you might have been coming for years and think of yourself as a Christian and you're like, wait a second, this is not the rest. I had a whole bunch of stuff I've been doing because I'm a Christian, but I don't think I really experienced rest here. The offer stands for you. You're weary. You're exhausted. You're frustrated with your life. Today, 
don't harden your heart. You're sick and you're angry with God for whatever the circumstances. Don't harden your heart. The offer stands today. Enter his rest. How? Believe. Once again, confess faith in Christ. May we be the most restful Christians, the most restful people on planet Earth. For today is the day of salvation. You can enter into the promised land and enjoy Him now and forever. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you and we're going to sing. Father, thank You for Thank you for inhabiting this meeting. You're here. You attend our church. And you're good. And you want to change us. And you want to transform us. You invite us. You invite us to take your yoke and learn from you because you're gentle and lowly. Your yoke is easy. And the burden for those who believe is light. Lighten burdens this morning, I pray. Would you release frozen, hard, weary hearts who've been trying to fix everything themselves, taking off one out of seven, following all the rules, working hard, striving to rest, but have up till this moment denying the power that the Lord of the Sabbath has to grant rest. Sabbath, we pray in Jesus' name. Hear this song. Amen.